most of the stuff that's brought to us is incredibly immature. So we've got to help figure out what that could be when it when it grows up. And so being able to walk with these people through the journey and sticking with Arthur, you know, Jen Foley, who I've known and worked with for a long time here, almost my entire time at Orlando Health, it's named after her father and his experience in the hospital, having that that same issue that it was designed to solve. He ended up not being able to, to verbally communicate for several days and he was frustrated. And she said she watched him give up. So being able to put an iPad in her hand for the first time when we had our MVP and being able to tap on buttons and have it speak, I mean, you could see the chills kind of run through her and just how meaningful it was to her. And then to be able to use it with patience and watch it go from there. Just stop it. The run of the mill, cheesy, humdrum bullshit status quo just tires me out. What fascinates me are the industry disruptors, the superhuman frontiersmen or women with errors in their backs who go through hell to achieve their goals. They'll go through anything to make it. They bathe in hell and high water, a cut above. They're intolerant to mediocrity, the status quo, and yet they're the nicest people you'll ever meet. This is Disruption Interruption. Join me as we meet and learn from those mavericks, rebels, and business leaders that aren't afraid to piss off the establishment in order to make radical change for good. This show is sponsored by Johto PR, the disruptive anti-PR firm that murders your competition with cinder blocks and cyanide. Welcome back, everybody, to Disruption Interruption. I'm your host, KJ, and we're here today to talk to another industry leader that has steered off the lame, tired path of the status quo. Today, I'm excited to introduce a trailblazer in healthcare innovation. He's the mastermind behind groundbreaking healthcare advancements at a leading Southeastern U.S. healthcare organization with over a century of history. Now, he's going to see as a team behind him, and he totally does. Since 2009, our guest has been at the forefront of transforming healthcare through innovation and research. He's known for championing inclusive innovation encouraging ideas from every level within the organization and leading to not just remarkable product developments, but also a culture of engaged brand advocates. Under his leadership, notable achievements have included the creation of an app that helps nonverbal patients communicate, showcasing a deep commitment to patient-centered innovation. We're going to uncover and overcome traditional resistance in healthcare, integrating clinical teams into R&D for better outcomes, and how these efforts are revolutionizing patient care. Join us in welcoming the Vice President of Innovation and Research at Orlando Health, Michael Schmidt. Thank you. Thank you. That was, that's a humbling way to describe everything. It's really cool to listen to someone else kind of read all that back. Thank you for that. You are so welcome. Well, you know, most innovators, disruptors are usually the quiet type and don't toot their own horn, but what everyone is doing is pretty amazing. So, Michael, let's get into this. And before we, you know, get going on this, all this innovation in healthcare, tell us what drives you. What's your fundamental ingredient to disruptive innovation? It's a number of things. I think first and foremost, it is never being satisfied with where we are now that we we can do better and we should do better that's something that's been you know a core part of of who I am and and how I like to do my own work and how I like to lead our team and and the program you know that we've developed that you know we're we're not making soda pop here we're caring for patients with cancer we're performing heart surgery we're helping bring new life into the world 
as a healthcare system, that's sacred work. And there are always things we can do to, to make that better, to keep patients safer, to help make it easier for clinicians to deliver care. So, you know, I think it's never being satisfied with where we are now and just being persistent about finding the opportunities to work with other people to consistently improve what we do. Because at the end of the day, the, the work we do helps make lives better. Full stop. It's so true. It's so true. And it, it is sacred work. I really love to hear that you say that. So never being satisfied with where we are now, like, let's take a look at this in the big perspective of, you know, healthcare in general and large health systems and so forth. I mean, Orlando Health is a large health system. And we all know there's a lot of regulations. Changing things in healthcare is like turning the Titanic, right? <laughs> yeah. Or a slow boat to China, right? Face it, a lot of enterprise, like they find out what's workable and, you know, they want to keep the status quo because it's working, right? How does Orlando Health navigate this innovation and this never being satisfied? You know, one of the things you said, and I'll tell our audience, I asked you how it's going and you're like, I, it's like something's always new. And we all know what that's <laughs> like. <laughs> yes. It's difficult. And from the outset, we we only started the program, you know, six and a half years ago to help directly encourage and support innovation across Orlando Health. Innovation can mean a lot of things to a lot of different people. For us, it's less about the things we might make. And it is much, much more about the people that work across Orlando Health and helping them creatively solve problems that occur in their programs, their departments, their units, and working with them to kind of advance the ideas that they come up with. We say that our frontline healthcare workers are our best source of truth. So it's not it's not my team in a removed location coming up with awesome ideas that we can try out. It's it's reverse. We are helping support the nurse, the respiratory therapist, the physician that has an idea for how to improve patient care, how to make things better. And so it's kind of walking hand in hand with them after they kind of identify themselves and say, I've got this idea. I don't know what to do next. Can you help? And so for us, it's just been finding those people, making it easy for them to find us and letting them know that we are here. They are our customers. We are here to support them and to help them work through the steps to investigate the opportunities. And then I think where, where we've become really good and, and have a good process and strategy is picking the ones that we think will make the biggest impact. For 2023, I think we were brought just under 100 different product ideas, different innovative ideas. We can't touch all of those. I could have a team of 50 people and we still wouldn't be able to tackle all those. So we have to be really selective, you know, which is the downside of our work. We have to choose which horses we pick, but we're looking at the things that are going to make the biggest impact within Orlando Health and then which ones are going to have life outside of Orlando Health. And that's where we tend to focus the most. Interesting. I'm just curious, as an aside, how many people are on your team since you don't have 50? We are up to 14 right now. Okay. All right. That's not bad. Yeah. And on paper, everybody has a slightly different focus, but it's kind of like an orchestra coming together when everybody's working their angles the right way. It's it's beautiful. Yeah. Totally a team spirit. I like what you do here. You know, I was going to ask, I mean, first of all, how big is Orlando Health? Just as far as size-wise, so our, our audience gets perspective. Yeah, it's a large healthcare system serving the Southeast. Our joke lately has been 
you know, we, we lose count of how many hospitals we have because we have grown so quickly, you know, centered mostly in the greater Orlando area, but with facilities across central Florida, Tampa, St. Petersburg now, even Puerto Rico. So I think around a dozen hospital units, but when you add up freestanding EDs, everything else, you know, we've got 29 healthcare facilities in the markets that we serve and hundreds of kind of primary care and smaller offices across there. 29,000 employees, 4,000 physicians, roughly in our medical group, you know, large and, and rapidly expanding system. Yeah. First of all, before I ask you all these questions, I want to stop and just give a little example about taking feedback mm-hmm. and then investigating that and then figuring out what's truly workable inside and out. You know, in my introduction, I mentioned this app that you guys created for nonverbal patients to communicate. Yes. Arthur app. Yeah, Arthur. Okay. So tell me the significance of that, the impact of that, like kind of how that process came to light. Yeah. The thing we say is our secret sauce is our process. And I think, you know, having started this program and building our team and together building this new process, I realized how quickly in in all of my previous roles and just so many people I've worked with, how quickly we tend to just jump immediately into solutioning. Oh, someone came up with this. Yes, let's go build it. What we do when someone brings us an idea like Arthur app that helps nonverbal patients communicate, we say, that's great. We're going to set the idea on the back burner. Let's go talk to some people. Let's go talk to the nurses that care for patients in these settings where patients consistently have surgery on their head and neck that can't talk, patients that have been intubated regularly in the ICU. So we spend time trying to walk in the shoes of the patients and the caregivers and trying to make sure we get enough data points to fully understand the problem. You guys also talk to families too? We do. Yeah. That was a big part of it. And, you know, this one was especially challenging. A number of the patients we talked to or connected with early on still had verbal communication challenges. They've got ongoing issues. And so speaking out loud is is still a constant challenge. So we talked to at least a dozen different couples or families where the spouse or, you know, an adult child was speaking for the patient, just saying, this was incredibly difficult and frustrating. They can't communicate that they're in pain, that something on their foot is too tight, that they're confused as to why they're here. So you think about everything that you already have to navigate as a patient or family member in a hospital and not being able to talk on top of that just dramatically complicates it. So we spend a lot of time immersing ourselves into those situations to make sure we understand it and then come back to approach it from a user-centered perspective. We also say that we're relentlessly committed to user-centered design and that after we've gone off and built the app and we're ready to get feedback, we go right back to those same people we talked to initially and then introduce other people to it as well. And the feedback that they give us is a gift. We know what we need to improve on and what we've done right so far, but the magic is letting those other people that are going to use the product or be affected by it, be able to speak into it consistently. Yeah. And it really is. The magic is in the process. What did you find out statistically? So when that was brought to you, what did you guys end up finding out statistically of how many people have communication problems? I often say this first part of any process, really understanding the problem is my favorite part. The solutions are super cool. But with this one, the initial assumption was, this is great. It may not be useful for all but a a really small group. 
probably a niche audience that needs this. And that absolutely was not the case. You know, we went to a variety of different units that care for different types of patients. We went to even just different facilities across Orlando Health and come to find out just based on all the different reasons someone might end up unable to verbally communicate even briefly. It's about 10% of our patients at any given point in time. It could be a few hours. It could be days. They have some physical communication barrier that's keeping them from being able to express kind of critical needs. That's actually a huge number. It is. We were surprised. You know, a lot of times we'll work with our, our teams that have access to different data. So for this, what we did is we said, let's look at all the diagnosis codes that are involved with this. So anyone who's intubated, anybody who's had head and neck surgery, we started to look at all the situations and the codes associated with those and then pulled the data related to those codes and were surprised that it was right around that 10% number. Wow. That's super cool. You talk about a couple of things that are very prevalent in the communications industry, like planning, 90% of the successes in planning, understanding the problem before you just dive into the solution. I mean, you have a communications background. Is yeah. that right? Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a big part of it. And and the more we we do this, I'm like, I just don't know how people operate without fully immersing themselves in the problems. I can't think of a single project we've we've worked on where the solution didn't evolve, at least somewhat. Most of the time it's evolving substantially or pivoting entirely based on that first stage of kind of empathy mapping and, and understanding the users and, and what they really need and want. So that that process really helps set the tone for the rest of the project. And we make sure that we've got the right data before we truly embark on developing it. Yeah. How much time is really spent in the planning and the process? And then how much time, once that's really done, does that speed up the execution quite a bit? It's tough. We try not to assign hard timelines to too much. We make sure that we've gathered all the right data points and info and and have the right discussions before it moves through different stages. So it could be a couple months if something's very clear. It could be a year that it sits in kind of that early stage discovery, concepting, you know, understanding the problem phase before we really kind of embark on that full development. On average, most of our stuff from start to finish is a two to three year journey, especially with the medical devices that we're developing. It's just a very rigorous process that's very structured and documented. And so naturally just just takes a long time. Yeah, well, that makes sense. Well, so what has been the success of Arthur? Arthur's great. We're you know, starting back in October, November, started full-scale rollout and adoption across Orlando Health. It's really exciting for us. That's our first true spin out from Orlando Health. So we brought a team in to help run that, that previously ran another communication app that's really similar to Arthur. So that in and of itself was really exciting. But just, you know, having that team go unit to unit and introduce that to, to patients, to clinical educators, nurses alike has been really exciting. So I think we're up in over 20 units right now that consistently have these patients and just making sure that everybody understands it and knows what sort of criteria they need to look for, for a patient to be a good candidate to use it. So it's really exciting. It's kind of in that, you know, we're, we're pushing it out of the nest yeah, and seeing if it can fly, but so far it's doing really, really well. Those are fantastic stories. What does this do for your nurses, clinicians, and physicians that actually see something come to fruition from their, you know, input? 
Yeah. So with the innovators that we work with, that's that's one of the most rewarding things about this job is to be able to see where we started, which almost always is is just a discussion or a, a sketch on a piece of paper and a vision for what could be. Most of the stuff that's brought to us is incredibly immature. So we've got to help figure out what that could be when it when it grows up. And so being able to walk with these people through the journey and sticking with Arthur, you know, Jen Foley, who I've known and worked with for a long time here, almost my entire time at Orlando Health, it's named after her father and his experience in the hospital. Having that that same issue that it was designed to solve, he ended up not being able to, to verbally communicate for several days. And he was frustrated. And she said she watched him give up. So being able to put an iPad in her hand for the first time when we had our MVP and being able to tap on buttons and have it speak, I mean, you could see the chills kind of run through her and just how meaningful it was to her. And then to be able to use it with patience and watch it, it go from there. My kids aren't that old yet, but I feel like it's what it's going to be like when they graduate college, you know, and they're going off into the world. You can't <laughs> yeah. help but just be so proud and excited and know that it's going to help a lot of people and make, make their experience less frustrating and help make sure they get what they need. What a great story. I absolutely love that. What are some of the challenges that you have with this? I would imagine healthcare workers are very busy as it is, time constraints, and we have a shortage of nurses. <laughs> Just what are the biggest problems that you face that you constantly have to solve in just getting data, getting a commitment? Yeah. So thinking about this discussion, one of the things that that usually comes to mind is first and foremost, we are working to disrupt ourselves. That's what this program is designed to do. We are we are a startup company effectively that exists within a large healthcare system. We're part of Orlando Health, but the way we function is like a startup company that that is there to help innovate and and disrupt how we do things. But first and foremost, we realized we needed to disrupt the normal workflow around when someone has a creative idea. Like you said, there's nothing harder to do than to change direction for things in healthcare. At least the the Titanic had a helm that you could grab and spin the other way. For hospitals, like sometimes we don't even know what lever to pull on to make those changes. So given, you know, each opportunity that we're looking into, that's part of what we start to plan in the background is, okay, who needs to be involved in this? Who are the stakeholders ultimately that are going to need to approve it? They're going to be the ones that decide to buy it. They're going to be the ones that use it. Mapping out all those stakeholders and kind of how we need to work with those people, that's a huge part of the process. And, you know, we, we kind of have to put different hats on and go into different modes. So when we're starting to kick off a project, getting an executive sponsor to, to buy into the vision and support it, that's step one. And then person by person, unit by unit, it is helping convince them, hey, we're here to help this will make your life better. It will likely disrupt things for some period of time. And we know that's frustrating. We will work with everybody to make sure it's managed appropriately. There's often resistance to that. People need to focus on on kind of their daily work. But that's another exciting thing to see is when people see the, the impact that these things make and you see the dots get connected in their head, that's where most of our recent ideas have come from. It's from other people that we've worked with to implement something or we were testing it in their unit, they're like, huh, if that's what you guys do, I've got a bunch of other problems over here and some rough ideas on how to solve those. So can you talk to me about that? And so organically, that's where our ideas are, are continuing to come from is from the other people that have seen the process play out in their 
their units. Yeah. Do you feel like you tell the stories enough? I mean, that's sometimes the biggest thing, right? Is telling the stories of the success and the journey and the, I mean, the guy, Arthur. Not as much as we should. No, not as much as we should. And it's, it's tough. We're always kind of focused on, there's just so many great projects. That's our problem. There's so many great projects we're working on. It's like juggling a dozen different balls at once. Yeah, it's something I think we've we've tried to make a priority for this year is to really step back and within our own team celebrate some of the incredible work we've done, but to make sure through storytelling lens that the organization understands what all these ideas are doing. You know, they see them in flight, but to be able to come back at the end and say, here's this patient, here's how this thing helped, it wouldn't have happened without without the innovative idea. Right. Your employee newsletter or the, you know, the intranet where they can actually, yeah, that's beneficial. So I know this creates brand ambassadors. Mm-hmm. That's a, a thing that healthcare organizations like want so badly. Everyone at Mayo Clinic, they're great ambassadors and they, they work there almost selflessly, right? But that's a system that's been in place for so long and it's just part of the culture. How has this helped in that regard for Orlando Health? I feel like we're Just this year, we're on the verge of really starting to move the needle there. It's tough because so much of our work has to happen behind the scenes. We're developing things that are going to be patented. We're developing things that may be first to market. So we have to be cautious about it. So yeah, our our internal media and marketing teams are often asking, what can we share? And I'm like, nothing just yet. Check back in a few months when we're at that point of readiness. But we have several things right now that are a couple months away from from launching or we'll launch later this year, which we can talk about. And I know that each one of those things is is going to help create additional brand ambassadors because it will fundamentally change the experience for for patients and, and their families. Yeah. It's almost like your own little startup needs its own communication engine. Right. Mm, right? Oh, yeah. What a good idea. <laughs> yep. So, you know, you have this whole process, right? And this research and investigate and all the way through. And then you look at how it's going to impact across Orlando Health and then outside Orlando Health. How long have you been doing this, by the way? I forget. 2017 is when we started this program formally. But trying to to implement new and innovative things has always been a part of, of what I did. Just starting my first role here in marketing helped found our digital marketing team when it was just a few of us running social channels and figuring out what does a hospital post on Facebook every day, trying to build a philosophy around, you know, how do we do this in a thoughtful way? And in my mind always tries to go to, yeah, but how do we do it different than everybody else? Everybody's trying to copy that viral video. We're not trying to be viral for the sake of being viral. We need to be thoughtful about what we're doing and make sure that it's helping meet the needs of our patients, you know, and and the communication goals we have. So I've always liked to go about things a little bit differently. And I'm always quick to jump at opportunities to try something new. So even when it wasn't part of my role, I was looking for software platforms that would help us in different ways and just trying to get people interested in doing a demo and and maybe doing a pilot. I think that's just what kind of got me on this track of there's so much opportunity to pursue here, but I don't know who's really looking at all the new and different things in a thoughtful way. Someone needs to be doing that. Yeah, it's so very true. So since 2017 in Orlando Health, you know, since it takes two or three years to put something through, and of course you had to go through a a new period, how much of, or any of those that, you know, you've really spun off like outside of Orlando Health successfully? 
Yeah, so Arthur's fully spun out and we are talking to other healthcare systems now. So if anybody's listening to this that wants to pilot that at, at their organization, happy to reach out and, and connect with them. We've got a couple other devices this year that will will be ready. We've got one called VeinSim, which is it's a 3D printed tool to help patients who need to administer medication on themselves with a, a needle. So they've got to locate their vein and give themselves medication regularly. There aren't great teaching tools for that. So we've developed a very realistic product called VeinSim. And so we're starting to introduce that to our patients. A lot of other organizations in the drug companies that make this the drugs that they use. And I want to be able to use this to help patients learn that process. Yeah. So that one literally should should hit the market here and be available sometime in March, which is really exciting. That's super cool. Yeah. More to come. We had one kind of interesting thing that that it was one of our first products to go through the whole process, 2018, 2019, and just kind of crazy timing with COVID. It's called the clean block. So rarely one of our team members will come with a prototype and and this team member had a he'd already gotten a patent issued for his product. He's like, I've gotten it this far. Will you help me take it from here? He just found himself in different settings around the hospital needing to use a pen, oftentimes at the check-in desk where you've got to write your name on the notepad, whatever. And he's watching people sneeze, pick up the pen, and then put it put it back in the cup. And he's like, does anybody ever clean these things? And everybody he talked to was like, not really. Or if we do, it's not that often. And that was kind of his light bulb moment. It's like, we need an easy and consistent way to clean pens. And so he created the clean block. And so it's just a small plastic box that you push a pen through. Inside, it's got alcohol sanitizing gel. But the magic was he put some like silicone valves on each side. So it goes through, but comes out dry. So we we were working on that together. We found a manufacturer here in Florida and launched that in fall of 2019 only for COVID to happen. And yeah, someone else within the organization actually was at a, a Marriott hotel up in Washington, DC and saw the clean block sitting on, you know, the check-in counter in late 2020. And we're all just kind of like, this was, this was crazy. I think it would have done well on its own. So that one actually got picked up by another company in early 2021. Wow. Wow. Well, mm-hmm. it sounds like an excellent product. It is. Yeah. Do you have any favorites? Like, I know you can't talk about certain things that you're getting patents on and so forth, but that will, you can talk about like problems that they will solve. Yeah. So a couple other ones that we're, we're deep into right now that are pretty close, really, really impactful product that will help operating room teams keep moms that are delivering via C-sections, help keep them safe. So again, back to the fascinating problems. Most postpartum hemorrhages that patients experience during C-sections start not from the operating site. It's something that happens within the body. And so the the blood loss that they experience is actually under the drape. It's vaginal blood loss. And so the physician and nurse that came to us said, the challenge is this bleeding because of the surgical drape is hidden from us. So we've had to figure out workarounds to know when a patient is bleeding. We are not at all comfortable with kind of remaining in this reactive state where you wait for vital signs to drop a little bit. That's kind of status quo. So the the first request was help us work on a surgical drape that's got a clear window on the top so that we can kind of visually know when that bleeding's happening. And just by kind of going through our normal process and pulling on all these different threads, we came up with an entirely new innovation that that wasn't there at the start. And so what we've developed is a 
a suction pad effectively that sits under the patient. And so that's connected to a, a suction canister in the operating room. And so at any point, if the patient's bleeding, that blood doesn't just sit there on the table, it's collected and it's moved into a suction canister where they can first and foremost know that the patient's bleeding and they can start to quantify it. And so the goal is that they'll be able to intervene almost immediately and hopefully prevent a lot of those cases from becoming a full-blown hemorrhage. We've been able to get a patent on the, the drape, but also a patent on the vacuum pad system. Okay, that's so cool. You know, as you're telling me this, I'm like, I used to be a big Grey's Anatomy yeah. fan. So I'm like thinking of the episodes there, of how that would happen. And yeah, that is super cool. Yep. How do other health systems typically do this type of R&D and innovation teams? Like you guys are a startup within the system, right? How, how do they normally do it? We're friends with a number of, of different programs. It's funny how differently everybody approaches it. I cannot give enough credit to our CEO and our senior leadership team for not only having the vision to have a program like this, but the the resources and support for us to grow the way we need to grow to support the ideas that our team members have. You know, we have a, a robust team that can do a lot. And the more we talk to other hospitals and even startup companies, the the common theme is you guys are uniquely set up to do quite a bit of work that is just very rare. Having biomedical engineers in-house to be able to develop a, a regulated medical device from start to finish, all the way through a clinical trial that we manage, all the way to FDA registration, and then start to sell it. Very few health systems that we've come across have the ability to, to do that. It usually means you go out to a development partner that you contract or work with a startup that you've got a license the IP out to that. I think that's a more common approach is to to bring startups in to help solve problems or to pilot their products to meet the need. We we do that selectively too. But I wanted to make sure that the program developed based on the types of innovation that was emerging. And so I don't know if it's unique to us or, or because we were looking for it, we found more of it, but there's just a lot of physical products that physicians in particular come up with. So I've made sure we kind of built the program around being able to design, develop, and test all those, you know, really intricate devices. Everything from software and AI to devices like Bleed ID that get used in the operating room. I mean, everything in between, you name it, we've looked at it. Yeah, I would imagine that physicians and surgeons come up with a lot of the cool ideas because they're thinking all the time, God, this, you know, they do it so often. Yep. If there's something that would help me here. And I would think nurses too. It's funny. People assume that doctors are bringing most of the ideas to us and we do have a significant number. The other thing that never ceases to amaze us is all the different professions across Orlando Health that have brought ideas to us. People from marketing, IT, EVS that make sure the rooms and units are clean, respiratory therapists. I mean, a little bit of everything. And it's so encouraging when someone from a different area comes to us and says, hey, I noticed this idea. What do you think? The frontline clinicians, doctors and nurses tend to have more kind of fully baked, thoughtful ideas just because they're that immersed in patient care. But we get stuff from all across the organization, which is really cool. Yeah, that's really good. You have a lot of good advocates. As far as like, I know you've guys been around since 2017 and it takes two to three years again to get something through. but. What are some of the long-term visions of this? Because I would imagine this improves 
customer experience, which is huge for hospital ratings and so forth. Tell me what some of the benefits are that you've seen and what are the long-term visions? Yeah. So first and foremost, we are a program that is is just as inwardly facing as we are outwardly facing. We're, we're here to serve team members and there's cultural evolution component that was why we started the program. And it's it's a part of why we continue to do what we do. Having a program like this where people can go to take their ideas, we listen, we support, we help advance those things. That's a great way to contribute towards employee retention, to contribute towards a culture where people feel like their ideas are valued. You know, it would be awful if all of those innovative folks ended up being told, this is great, but we have no way to support that, which is what happened up until this program started. So that that's a huge part of it that can't be kind of focused on enough is that it's a, it's a big part of who Orlando Health is and how we want to grow and, and position ourselves. Over time, the program needs to generate revenue and is, you know, starting to generate some significant revenue. We want to be self-funded and, and that the money we're able to make goes right back into developing the next product in, in line. And hopefully we've got a small portfolio of spin-outs that have flown the coop at Orlando Health. And then a, a big part of what we do too is, is we invest in external startups who we really like. A lot of times the solution is not to develop something from scratch. It's to find a company that's already working on that and to partner with them to advance what they've developed in a really responsible way for hospitals to help make sure the most innovative healthcare products thrive is, is to help support those companies. And so, you know, we, we do that when there's a product who our physicians and clinicians really want to use and they champion, we will, we'll work with those companies and help support them financially, but also help support feedback and, and getting them data. And we have a number of them that are doing clinical studies here right now to, to prove out how well the products work. So it's kind of this really interesting ecosystem of things inside Orlando Health and then awesome stuff outside Orlando Health that that we just kind of help shepherd in the right way. Yeah, what a fun place to work. It's amazing. It's a lot and we are very busy and it's it's certainly stressful at times, but people often say like you guys have the coolest job here, full stop. And I I don't disagree. Yeah, good for you. <laughs> good for you. So, okay, what do you do outside of Orlando Health. What are your crazy, do you have any crazy passions or hobbies, especially when, you know, you always love everything new? I still call myself a surfer, even though I don't get to go as much as I used to, you know, have three kids, which keeps us pretty busy, but just love being outside, being at the beach in the warm months, for sure. I'm a rabid soccer fan. And now Formula One, I've gotten into the last few years. Soccer is kind of, kind of my passion. And then all things Florida Gators. My wife and I both went to school there. Okay, there you go. Awesome. All right, Michael, how do people get a hold of you? If they want to talk to you, they have ideas, like you name it. LinkedIn, easy to find me on on LinkedIn, Michael Schmidt at Orlando Health and you know, send me a message that way and would love to chat. Awesome. And did I leave out anything? Anything you wanted to go over or food for thought? There's one quote. People always kind of talk about how do you do what you do? And, you know, the word innovation is is a bit of a buzzword and, you know, it doesn't inherently kind of explain itself or the process behind it. So we tend to, to label it more creative problem solving. That's, that's what innovation is, really. But I came across this quote from Simon Sinek. He's one of my favorites. This recent quote from him that says, intelligence uses the known to solve problems. Creativity 
uses the unknown to discover possibilities. And I felt like that captured the spirit of what we do. You can tackle something using the facts and develop a solution, but really getting creative with how you approach it means you allow space for the unknown, you know, and we often kind of compare our our design thinking based process to jazz or improv. We have a structure and we've got a way that we're going to move into it, but where it goes, sometimes you don't know. And that's the magic. And so it takes a commitment on our part to move things through a process where we don't know what the end looks like. A big part of of our culture within the team is is the phrase yes and. And I don't know if you've ever been to improv yourself, but that is a, a foundational element of doing improv that yes, I'm accepting what you're throwing at me and I'm going to add on to it. So I think we we have other teams come to our location to kind of experience a different form of brainstorming. And it's brainstorming with yes and. You remove the word no temporarily or the ability to shut something down. You remove that temporarily from how you're trying to creatively problem solve and you get wildly different results. When you have to go with it, and it, it might not be the, the next version of that idea that's the winner. It might be the fifth or sixth but you wouldn't have got there without, you know, at the second step, if someone said, well, we've tried this before, we'll never get the budget for it. Like, no, we're going to yes and it. Let's imagine it's going to happen. Keep it going. Keep it going. So how fun. Yeah, it's such a fun part. And watching that play out and watching people experience it is interesting. But I think if anybody's looking to kind of change how they infuse creativity into their company, into their processes, Yes, and is a really cool way to do that. And I guarantee you'll get some different results. Yeah, I'm going to try that. You know, I was just thinking it'd be a fun little mini corporate retreat, have everybody go to an improv class. It would. And you're going to be uncomfortable, but it's it's going to be a great learning experience. Yeah, probably be a hoot as well. Yeah. Michael, thank you so much. Thank you. This is very enlightening. Yeah, I wish you all the best at Orlando Health. You guys are coming up with some cool things. Definitely tell those stories more. Thank you. Thank you for the time today. This was awesome. That's a wrap, everyone. If you learned something today or you laughed, go tell someone about this podcast and tell people to go disrupt their markets with a tidbit from the show. Thanks for listening to Disruption Interruption, where we transform lives, change consumer behavior, alter economics, and never accept the status quo. Ciao for now. Because we live in a highly litigious society with America being one of the top litigious countries in the world, here's our legal disclaimer. This advice is not intended to be a substitute for professional public relations or legal advice. Do not disregard seeking professional legal health care or financial advice or delay seeking professional PR or legal advice because of something you have heard here. Contact an attorney to obtain advice on any particular legal issue or problem. Use of this podcast or our website or any of its social media or email links. Do not create an agency client relationship between Joto PR and the user.